This is who you know, as you well know, and I'm Dmitry Samarov. Today I bring you a, a talk with uh, the bass player and musician, composer, man about town, uh, Matt Lux, uh, for this very special face-to-face in-person episode. I biked up Archer Avenue to Matt's house and uh, we sat at his kitchen table and talked about his history in music, uh, growing up in Chicago, uh, all kinds of shit. Uh, I know you'll enjoy it four or five times as much as I did. Here you go. Lee texted me and said that Emmett's solo set is him just playing Bo Diddley guitar by himself through two giant super loud amps. Really? But one of them has a delay. Oh, so it's two. Oh, so it's like two. Yeah. And he just does that for 40 minutes. I was like, I would really like to hear that. Yeah, yeah. That would be very good. He to seems hear. to be involved in all kinds of exper- weird, like, he's doing all the stuff. He's got his cassette label. He's got all this stuff going on, you know? Yeah. That's not. Well, and then he plays more like. I don't want to say normal, but like, you know, pop-ish. Well, he plays with Will and all these other people, you know. Yeah, that regular guy who he plays with. Let me make sure. Yeah. But yeah, I guess yeah, I guess he, he said Cairo gang is kaput. He killed he killed off he the Cairo. It. Yeah, he just lined them up against the wall <laughs> and just <laughs> It's time to try something else. I mean I I guess it's really been a long time in retrospect. It's one of those things where I think of him as a young guy and think of that yeah. as a new thing, but it's, it's like not twenty yeah. years. Yeah, it's like twenty years, <laughs> and I don't know how many, yeah, six, seven records or something probably. Yeah. With very, but Cairo Gang is like like Joan of Arc. It's right. It's Emmett, you know, and whoever he's playing with, yeah. And yeah, Joan of Arc was killed off too, apparently. But yeah, I'm, I wouldn't I wouldn't put him in the grave. I think Joan of Arc, Joan of Arc will rise from the ashes yeah. before it's all said and done. <laughs> I wouldn't, yeah, I wouldn't count her out. She survived all these centuries. Yeah, really. <laughs> burning at the stake is not enough. Yeah, it's been burning a long time. <laughs> so this is cool. Uh, how long have you been here in, in this house? What is it? It's 2022. Yes. I want to say that, oh, it's nine years. Nine years? Yeah. This was my uncle's house. Mm. He passed away, and I was able to do a thing where I could buy it without a mortgage. Nice. Which was fantastic. Kind of saved me from a tough spot. So where were you before? I had a house in Berwyn. Oh, you did. Okay. Um, in Broad, Missouri, lived in my coach house. Mm. I had that for about ten years, but it was horribly underwater. I bought it at the top of the bubble. Oh, okay. 
And that was a drag, and it was just a money pit. So it was just just before that whole the cra the crash. Yeah. Or that when you bought yeah when you know all that shit was happening. Yeah, I bought it in like two thousand seven, so it was right. like maxed out. And then yeah, that was. I mean, I was driving when I was driving a cab. I I started feel I could tell people were like not doing well because business was going down. Like before they announced in the news that there was a recession. Right. Like, could just fucking tell that there's something going on because yeah. our our business was falling off and you know those service industry type things you start feeling it before you know it's announced in the news you get a little uh yeah like like in 06 or so probably you know like it started like some something's going on you know where like the conventions aren't quite the same you know like all this all this tourist shit is starting to wobble you know i uh I even, I mean, I had, I didn't want to buy a house. Yeah. My father always told me never buy a house. Wise man. Yeah. That, that's, that's been my trip forever. I get into this debate with people all the fucking time. I, I yeah. don't want to buy anything, but. I didn't, that. I didn't want to buy the house, <laughs> yeah. but, uh, man, so skittish. It's wild. Yeah. You know, I, you're probably right. Not to be trusted. Not to be trusted. Well, there's just like a. It's Some just, of them really it only like occurs to me that, yeah. uh, like I said, men never come over here. Yeah. It's always just kind of figure a different kind of energy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm a very, very domineering, aggressive type of man. So <laughs> you have a right to be scared. Yeah. <laughs> Little doggy. <laughs> you don't know what he'd do to you. Yeah. So your your dad said never buy a house. He said never buy a house. And then we bought that house and it was nothing but trouble. Yeah. You, you had to sink a lot of money into it? or oh, like, yeah. yeah. And it was... Yeah. Money pit. It was horrible. <laughs> um, but then this is a different situation. Yeah. And, I mean, frankly, I don't know... I mean, mor mortgage, the word mortgage has death in it. It has the word death in it. Yeah. You know, like, and people sign up willingly, like, here, yeah, I'll die. <laughs> yeah, and you do. Yeah. Uh, but if if this wouldn't have turned up when it did, yeah. then I would have to, you know, we'd need a, at least we'd need a three-bedroom apartment. Yeah, because you had a child already. You had, yeah. you know, your kid was already a, a thing, yeah. <laughs> a um, person. <laughs> Uh, up in the world, out in the world. And, uh, you know, the, the rents are so high now. Like, mm. where, what would we have done? I don't even know. Yeah. So this was a, this was a lifesaver. I'm not a fan of this neighborhood. No. It's all cops and garbage men and shit. Sure, yeah. I don't, we don't get along with anybody. Everybody hates us on the block. <laughs> it's fine. I don't give a yeah. shit. Um, but... It came just in time, so yeah. I'm happy for it. And it's sort of nice to keep the thing in the family, you know what I mean? Yeah. So did you did you grow up around here or no? No, I'm Maybe. from Uptown. Oh, you're from Uptown, okay. Yeah. And that's where your dad didn't buy a house? Was well, it up, he's, Uptown? <laughs> he's from Edgewater. Okay. But he did, he bought a house in the early 50s in mm. the suburbs. Oh, okay. 
And I don't know what the story was, but whatever it was, it was enough to convince him not to buy. That's it. where he learned the lesson: never yeah. to buy a house. And then he came back to the city. Suburb and, and house and buying a house; those are the two things that I'm not a big fan of yeah. either. Also, suburb, yeah, to me, like is very death related. Like I hear the word suburb and I think death, <laughs> like yeah. soul death. Well, There's he nothing else. <laughs> he came back to the city, and I certainly. I have three half brothers, or half. yeah, I should know. That. Yeah, the 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 Disney school. Yeah. Well, yeah. Well, but that, I mean, yeah. people from everywhere yeah. went to that school. Yeah. It just happened to be pretty close to my house. I mean, I knew a girl who I went all the way through elementary school and high school, mm-hmm. who lived at like a hundred and eleventh and Morgan. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it's like what. You really you want to yeah. come all the way up, but you know that's how it was in the seventies. Sure. Yeah. Huh. Wow. Yeah. So that's but that's a long yeah it's a long way from Edgewater was where my first Chicago apartment was at Foster and Sheridan, right on the corner across from the Dominics, where I got busted for stealing, <laughs> stealing razor blades. Woo. Because I decided they were too expensive, and I picked the wrong time to to swipe something. Yeah, and they like handcuffed me to a, to a pipe in the in the office, like downstairs, to try and make a, an example of me, like this, some kind of scared straight thing. You know, they weren't gonna call the cops. Right. There's this other guy there that had like bags and bags of shit, and you know he was not white, and the cops were coming for him. Yeah. For sure, they weren't coming for me. All I had coming for me was a very angry girl, angry girlfriend. <laughs> well, I had to swear to that I'd never steal shit again from stores. Or... I didn't fulfill that promise, but it's been a problem person. for a while. Yeah. <laughs> it was a habit. <laughs> you don't have to worry about the razor blades anymore. No, no, I solved that problem as well. <laughs> Yeah, that's a sucker's game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so how did how did this like music problem begin for you? When did the music troubles <laughs> habits? Man, I was uh, always or. Yeah, I mean, it's a it's especially weird when I think of it now. It obviously didn't seem weird at the time, but. When I was five for Christmas, Mm -hmm. my parents bought me my own phonograph Mm. because I spent so much time on the phonograph that I was, and the phonograph was in the dining room and I was sort of in the way. So they got me my own phonograph. And they were music lovers or? No, no. no. Oh, it was like you were the only one. Yeah, they, I mean, I think that was also part of the thing was like, it was like a piece just Get you decoration. Away. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> because we don't want to listen to they exclusively listen to talk radio. And what did you put on the phonograph, their phonograph? What did you terrorize them with? <laughs> well my brother, my oldest brother, Steven, is an insane Beatles fanatic. And he decided that when I was five it was it's time to start indoctrinating me. Sure. And how he much gave older me, is he? He's 24 years older than oh, me. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow, that's intense. Um, yeah. 
So he gave me one Beatles record per month in chronological order. Wow. And I still have a, a few of them. Mm. I, I mean, yeah. I played the shit out of those records. I killed them. Yeah. But a few of them are still around. And by the time I got to the one, you know, the one where they're like, the one that has like paperback writer and shit. Mm. I don't know. It's like an American record. It's yeah, I don't know their record. actual records. The only things I'm really familiar with are those like those compilations that like there's a red oh, one the and, red a, one and, and a, the blue and a blue one. one. Yeah. That well, that was huge for yeah. me. The red one and the blue. That one. That was when they were early on trying to repackage and repackage, which yeah. they keep they do to this fucking day. I'm sure there's a Beatles record coming out this week. That we, you know, you like some yeah. <laughs> and my brother's gonna buy it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but by the time I, whatever, he was giving me in chronological order. <laughs> by the time I got to 66, mm. I was like, I asked my, the youngest one of those brothers who's 12 years older than me, and I was like, what is this? And he said, that's, that's bass guitar. And I said, that's, that's what I want. At five, you like well, that was so I was six then. Six, but and by then you had your own phonograph. Yeah, they gotten you out of the living room. Well, no. So now I was in the living. room. My spot was behind a couch. Oh, I had created a little zone. They didn't hang out in the living room. They okay. were kitchen people. Yeah, uh, this was that's the where the radio table. with the their oh nice burns. that's yeah. that's theirs. <laughs> Sweet. Uh, I had a little thing behind the sofa. Mm-hmm. And I put the things, the cushions, so it was like a little fortress, ah. and just me with the phonograph and my records. And what? And you would just sit intently. Would you like study the liner notes, study the covers? Oh, I mean, of course. Like, yeah, that's you know, when pour over it, read everything. I mean, but even you know, that was I was so young. Yeah. That um, you know, just reading whatever. But that just, took a took some time probably to read yeah. through all that and you probably didn't understand a lot of the stuff that was on there no a lot of stuff in in parentheses and abbreviated there's all kinds of codes and shit on the yeah. you know that grown-ups don't fucking know <laughs> have the shit that's written on the back of those records yeah but i mean i just so would you, would you listen to like the same one over and over again or oh, like yeah. yeah hundreds and hundreds of times yeah uh but then my brother got me a bass. Like one of those Paul McCartney one? Like those... Like, actually... What, what's that called? The one like... Hoffner. The shape like the, a violin. Yeah, that, that no, he played. I wish. No, yeah. He got me... Like a regular... The bass that I played from I was six until it got stolen out of Azita's van in oh. Toronto. Oh, Jesus. For like, for life on the fly or... Yeah. Yeah. Um, the bass of... I played all the Isotol, them records that people yeah. like. Yeah. That was still the bass that I had. Yeah. Did you get another one like it or no? Did yeah. It like a same model or whatever? Yeah. Huh. Wow. And that that's the only thing you played? That's like the only one? Or? From, yeah. from six until whatever, 31, that was it. Wow. And then... When that got, well, the first thing that happened a couple of years before it got stolen, we had a van crash, Isotope yeah. did. Yeah. 
and it got broken. Uh So then I put a new neck on it, Mm -hmm. and it wasn't quite right. So then I started getting more instruments. And so now I have whatever, five or six of them. But for 30 years, I only had the one. Do you remember, like, what it was about the bass that... The, just the sound that when when your brother told you that's what it was. Well, it was. It was the sound of it. Or? You know, that that record has rain and paperback writer, and that's like Paul's really going off, mm. and it's sort of like the lead instrument, mm. or at least in to me. But rain still, I would paperback think writer, I can hear in my head. You know I mean, what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. The bass line's yeah. busy and it's up high. Yeah. And that's what sticks out. If you ask somebody to sing the music, yeah, they're going to sell here that bass, you know, the bass line on it. Yeah. And that was, I don't know. I remember, I mean, I very clearly remember sitting in the back seat of my father's 1971 Ford LTD. Mm-hmm. And that was also an eight track because then I. I demanded that I needed to have music all the time. So we had that on an eight track. Yeah. And I had my brother, we were picking him up because he lived in the suburbs, but we would pick him up for the weekends. And I said, what's that? And he said, that's bass guitar. Mm-hmm. And I was like, that's what I want. I want Because they were, my brothers fancied themselves players a little bit. Okay. My brother Michael played guitar quite a bit. So were they from like a first marriage or something? Yeah. Is that why what the age gap is? Yeah. Yeah. I have a brother that's eighteen and a half years younger, but it's the same parents. It's bizarre. They had like it's like an oops baby. Yeah, the oops baby. Yeah. Well, I I'm sort of the oops baby, but yeah, from a new, but yeah, you were from a new relationship. Yeah. And my dad was fifty when I was born, and uh, he was convinced that he wouldn't be able to have a kid. Oh, yeah. But that's not. No, I mean, there's fucking seventy something. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they can contribute. <laughs> they're not. Yeah, they're not carrying them, but they can. They do whatever. Uh, I don't know if I, I'd hesitate to say it's half, but it's, it's some part. Yeah. You know, like. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Shooting that is. Yeah. A lot easier. Yeah. But yeah, so I I came along. So they were yeah. So you like. Old dad, so that he he was okay with getting you all this music, and or was it a was it a struggle to 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 even to tolerate? Well, you said your brother was kind of really feeding you. Yeah, well, no, it was. I mean, my my parents didn't and don't care about music. It wasn't a thing. Yeah, Uh, but I was absolutely preoccupied with it, Uh, and then. I had instrument that I would play all the time, but that's, you know, you're just a kid. Yeah. And then when I was eight, I asked to take lessons. I said, I want to learn how to play. Yeah. And my dad said, he said, well, I'll get you guitar lessons, Mm -hmm. but not bass lessons. And I said, but I don't want to play guitar. And he said, if you learn to play guitar, you can make music. But if you learn to play bass, you can only help other people make music. (laughs) 
Which is weird. Yeah. So even though he didn't like her or listen to music, he had this idea about like how certain instruments were not actual. I, I mean, he's not he's not really off. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, oh, you, honestly, you you consider that you, you you agree with him? I mean, in a, in some strange way, it's true. Yeah. I mean, you could you know, there's people who play solo bass music, but yeah, it's it's rare and annoying, frankly. <laughs> um, and really, what I like to do mm -hmm. probably is make help other people make music a lot. So yeah. it makes some sense. But then I wound up having guitar lessons, and it didn't last very long because I wasn't interested in playing guitar. Yeah. But finally, I got back around to, I mean, I was just insistent about it. So finally, yeah. they relented. So what, uh, so the Beatles were the, like, the gateway drug. What What did that lead, what was next? What was the, there was a big obsession after the Beatles, or the Beatles lasted for a while? Well, the Beatles were always there. That was, like, the first thing. Yeah. The first record I ever bought. Was uh, Boogie Oogie Oogie by Taste of Honey. Huh. I bought that on a 45 7 inch. Yeah. Um, so I liked all sorts of things. I was super into, like, by the time I was 10 or 11, mm -hmm. I was super into uh, soul music, mm -hmm. like Stax and Motown yeah. was my thing. Right. Um, and then, whatever slowly got into jazz and classical music and everything else but yeah hmm. and, you, and so you never found or never sought out like a bass teacher or like teacher on bass or did that come later well as far as bass guitar yeah. no yeah i didn't i wound up going back to that guitar teacher for a couple lessons but i could tell that he wasn't he didn't really have it together playing no. bass oh oh yeah he couldn't he couldn't teach it yeah. so i was like whatever i'm just going to listen to music and learn it go along yeah but then what year i don't know i guess i was 13 and i was listening to radio in bed which i often did mm -hmm. and i heard this amazing bass thing going on mm -hmm. and then the guy on the radio was like oh uh, that was ray brown and he's going to be appearing at the jazz showcase this mm. week and blah 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 so i said to my dad i said oh i want to go see this mm -hmm. and my dad was like yeah okay let's go to the showcase so we went down to the showcase i didn't realize that it was a double bass oh I just yeah. heard a bass solo, and I thought that was spectacular. And so I walk in, and guys got this giant fucking cello or whatever. Yeah, and you didn't know what it was. What the? And I was like, oh man. And I sort of knew because the first concert I ever went to was Stray Cats. I knew that that was a thing that existed. <laughs> but yeah, it was like it, pink or something. Yeah, and like they they was painted and like mic'd up and stuff. And he was like humping. He yeah, was like riding jumping. it He's around right. and yeah. slapping it. Yeah. But this it caught me off guard. And I was like, oh, wow. I said, okay. And Ray and my dad were just about the same age. Mm. Same sartorial sense. Oh, really? 
same fucking cologne. Like and what were, was the sartorial sense? It was like a really polyester, Sansa belt, oh, pants okay. up uh, high. You know oh, what really? I mean? Okay. Like sport jacket, kind of loud, maybe. Ray Brown. Who was? I don't know if I know who that. Who Super you, famous jazz who bass player. Shit. Like every single person from every Charlie jazz. Parker. Okay. So, oh, that era. Okay, so like yeah. Bob, kind of era. One of the yeah. first Bob okay. guys, but then like super popular through all of the mm. until the 2000s yeah so i wasn't gonna he was some old dude i wasn't gonna talk to him but my dad was like well we have to go talk to him and see what's going on so this would be the 80s right yeah or like yeah. 86 87 okay, something yeah. like that yeah uh and they got to talking yeah and uh Talking for a long time, stayed at the bar drinking. Mm. I was milling around like oh, yeah. shit. But Ray convinced my dad yeah. that he should buy me a double bass, and that if I was serious about being a musician and playing bass, that's what you needed. That's like what that. I should do, and that totally fit in to my dad's concept Which of was... like, well, what is this thing that's rock and roll oh, nonsense? That's not you know like I mean? that's not really music. Yeah. That's not serious. Yeah. So here was this guy playing yeah. jazz and my dad was like, Yes. Yeah. We'll get you one of these. And so he got me one of those. So I started playing jazz. I was going to Bloom School of Jazz, learning on that. Yeah. Then I started high school. Yeah. And I was in my locker one day, and I saw three dudes walking up the stairs with bases. Mm-hmm. And I was like, what the fuck? So I followed them up the stairs, and I didn't even know that my high school had a fucking orchestra. Yeah. Do so you went to Lane? Or? Lane Tech, yeah. yeah. So I joined the orchestra. Yeah. And then got into all that shit. And my dad was over the moon. So like, he that was the greatest thing. So he didn't like music, but why did he like all that, do you think? Well, what what did it fit into in his mind, do you think? So, when he was young, Mm -hmm. he he would go dancing to big bands. He loved dancing. He always told me that dancing was the greatest thing you could do. So, that was something that had been part of his youth. Yeah. You know, so that music was something. And he also liked the only record, he had one record... He, well, no, I'm lying. He had <laughs> two records. Glenn Miller's Greatest Hits. Right. And then uh, somebody's version of Ravel's Bolero. Mm. And he would play Ravel's Bolero like once a year mm-hmm. at top volume. Shake the windows. And he loved wow. that shit. But, you know, classical music is like fancy. Yeah. And it has an air of professionalism. Yeah. That I think he was... He appreciated that. He appreciated that. And then, that's when I, you know, I sort of got serious. Mm -hmm. I got a teacher. Mm -hmm. My teacher was this guy, Eric Harris, who was in Chicago Symphony. But he was a young dude. He was 25. And he was like, he was making $80,000 a year in Mm -hmm. 1988. Yeah. Which was good money. Yeah. And all he did was play the bass and he wore a tuxedo. And my dad was right. like, yes. Yeah. Well, we're going to pay this guy. You're going to learn how to do that. And that's a good idea. What yeah. line of work was your dad in? He was a bookkeeper. Oh, okay. 
So he was an accountant, more or less. I mean, or, not, or a, not a not a not CPA, a, not a CPA, but, but basically yeah. an accountant of right. some kind. Yeah, yeah. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I had a succession of those symphony type people, who who attempted to and failed to teach me violin. <laughs> well, that I tormented and <laughs> in various ways and Your put parents their paces. wanted you to. Yeah, I was. See, unlike you, yeah, I was made to play these instruments. Okay. I started on a piccolo flute at five in Moscow, and then my teacher left, and I went. To, I was going to this music school, and they decided that because I was so musically gifted and had perfect pitch. Allegedly, which is, I don't think that's a thing that exists. I have a, I don't, I don't know that it's real, but there's different theories about perfect pitch. But yeah, they said, so your, your, your talent, your vast talents are wasted on this stupid little instrument. You need to be playing a violin, which is like a horrible neurotic instrument. And I battled for eight miserable years from age six to age 14 and asked to quit every year and was Ouch. finally allowed to quit. But this is, yeah, my my sad musical, you know, career uh, has to a lot more to do with my mom's misplaced it, you know, dreams and ambitions. Or she didn't have a mother that insisted that she practice, so she made her kid do it. You do know? you do you think it benefited you in any way, or is it just a negative I, part I, of your life? I still uh, flinch when I hear orchestral music. I don't. Wow. I will not. Like it's very hard for me to like, yeah, okay. <laughs> and it, it made yeah, it made me hate that that kind of music unfairly, you know, probably. Like I couldn't even accept the fiddle until much later on, like in country, like right. or or folk music. That eventually, because I had friends who had that, it's <laughs> like okay, I guess that's I guess that's acceptable. But yeah, the, there's something about that that the, the screeching like. A badly played violin you know like yeah. it's the worst like it's like the the sound of animals dying you know like <laughs> and it's like you know there's no frets on the fucking thing it's not forgiving in any way you can't play if you play it badly everybody knows you know yeah. you can't just like you can strum a guitar and make it sound okay you know it's a nice happy sound you can't do that with a fucking violin well even <laughs> i mean well played violin is yeah arguably yeah it's a it's it's a it's a neurotic, like, perfectionist kind of... It was a very, very bad fit, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm, you know, I'm, you know, I've been obsessed with music my whole fucking life. It's like the most important thing, in a way, even though I don't play. But you don't, you don't uh, think there's an intersection of what? those things, of you playing and your love for music? Uh, it, it, I mean, you know, it, it was what was left, you know, but... I mean, my parents always listened to music. I, I had a lot of music in the house, always. They always liked, my, my dad sang, you know, not professionally, but just like out, like in the car. It was one of the few, you know, pleasant things he did. <laughs> as a, that a, pleasant memories, you know. <laughs> we get along great now. We did, we did, when I was a kid, I wouldn't say. What did he like to sing? What did he sing? A Russian song, like fo either folk songs or Soviet songs, but like sung ironically, but I didn't know that, you know, that, <laughs> but it was like, it was the music of his childhood, you right. know, he, he, he would, he knew them all by heart, he knew poetry and, you know, and he would sing these songs, these horrible, like propaganda songs, basically, right. in the car a lot of times, yeah. <laughs>
was raised with that. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know what the relationship is between those like those horrible lessons and playing in like youth orchestra. I played in orchestra, and and then there was that in orchestra. There's that you know the socialization, the competitiveness comes out. Right. You get second or third. You know, I never made it to first violin, which I felt shitty about, but I didn't deserve to because I I didn't practice. Right. Like you know. I you had, didn't enjoy I, I, playing in the orchestra? No, I didn't. I didn't enjoy any of it except for, like, you know, like the, the ego hit when, you know, year after year I wouldn't get, you know, move up. Right. You know? <laughs> but you liked, so you joined the orchestra and you loved it? Or, or I you mean, didn't, or, playing in a, like, hundred piece group is just a thing. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't want to, I decided that it, I didn't want to pursue that yeah. thing as a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. But if I could do some every now and then, I'm, I think like I should just go to one of those volunteer orchestras and just play. Yeah. Because it's the act of making music with all those people is really kind no, of. No, I'm always uh, impressed and a little bit envious of people that play music because it's all that collaboration and, and like this together thing that I've never. You know, I'm a, I've been a one-man band one way or another right. the whole time. And whatever creativity I have, that's how it's expressed. You know, there's there's no sharing and there's no, I don't know, not meeting anybody halfway, really. You know? right. <laughs> I don't know if I know how to do that. But, you know, at various points, I've, I've now bought, for the third time in my life, I've bought a guitar. You know, I have, I have credit with with Bill McKay for lessons. I traded art with him like 15 years ago and we started lessons and then I abandoned it on an acoustic guitar. Now I've bought an electric guitar. Nice. And it's like, I spent some money on it, like very intentionally not to have an out, you know, like, well, this yeah. is like, but like a nice guitar, like something, you know, not a like musician grade, nice guitar, but like I spent some money. Right. To, and he went shopped with me, you know, he helped me pick it out. So, haven't touched it. Touch it a few times, but like it's sitting there, like taunting me. <laughs> you got you got some pedals. No pedals yet. That's <laughs> what you need. I when I think of a painter, uh -huh. I think of somebody who should have a lot of pedals. Oh yeah. Because what you can do with a guitar and uh -huh. absolutely no ability to yeah. play the guitar. Yeah is really remarkable. Yeah. And frankly, you know, who gives a shit about yeah. G minor, whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, just do something interesting. Well, the weird thing, yeah, somewhere buried inside my head, I mean, like, I I went to fucking, I learned, I used to know how to read sheet music. Right. You know? So it's buried in there somewhere. And, uh, but I think our... Our plan, mine and Bill's plan, whenever it is I get myself to do it, is for him to teach me, like, to play a song. Because the first time we tried to do scales and do it, like, the old-fashioned way, and I just, no, I didn't. I'm probably, like, whatever residual bad feeling about that kind of practice, you know, like, I didn't sure. want to do that again. Yeah. Doing, playing scales. Well, you that, know? I mean, that, that, that shit is boring. Yeah. Made me hate, made me hate that music and that that instrument yeah the rep i broke two bows like in half from temper tantrums 
which my mom would like glue together badly, <laughs> like, which to glue a bow back together does not fucking work, yeah, you know. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's a very you know delicate piece of wood that like once it's once that's broken, it's yeah. that's it. On, only <laughs> like, base bows. Oh, base bow! You can you can you can get to the operation. Bows, oh, really? Oh, okay. Yeah, it's thicker. I guess I guess it may be a good word. Yeah. Well, it's the same thing, you know. Yeah. You see bases like fancy, expensive yeah. ones. Yeah, they're like Frankenstein yeah. together from all the right the repairs. You can't do that to a violin. Yeah, like the top breaks and it's over. But yeah. bases, they'll take like. Yeah a bucket full of splinters and glue it back and it's still great yeah yeah they're just more forgiving i think yeah and i guess yeah it's it's not being asked to 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 whatever emote or make make such a wide tonal range you know that yeah well you know, also, nowadays yeah. the the orchestra players on double bass are all virtuoso level yeah it just it sounds like a cello or whatever you know so how long did you last in the orchestra it was all through school or no or like just through high school yeah. um and then i was gonna i was gonna go maybe to juilliard but i didn't get a scholarship mm -hmm. and i really wanted to go to curtis but i didn't make it where's curtis in philadelphia oh, okay uh, and then, or is it Cleveland? I don't know. I haven't thought about it in 30 years. That doesn't matter. Uh, but then I, right the summer before college, mm -hmm. uh, I met like Jeff Parker and oh, okay. that sort of cadre. Yeah. And I was like, well, I'm just going to do this instead, not even go to college. What was Jeff doing back then? Was he, he'd gone, I know he went to Berkeley, yeah. but that must have been before. Yeah, he left Berkeley. Him, him and Bill were there roughly the same time. They didn't know each other, I don't think. Weirdly, Bill was in Boston, too. I didn't to Berkeley. know that. Yeah. yeah. Parker finished Berkeley and came and was working at Tower, and I was working at Tower the summer after I graduated In Lincoln Park? School. Yeah. Oh, okay. I remember that that's, store. That's where we met. Oh, okay. Was he playing out art? Was he playing out and stuff? Yeah. Who was was he playing like jazz? What was he yeah. playing? Yeah, he was playing mostly he was, jazz. I mean, when yeah. I met him literally, I think the first week he moved here. Oh wow! Because he was working. Because he worked at the store. Yeah. And uh, you know, he asked me what was going on, and I told him what jam sessions to go to. Mm. We went to the Bop Shop jam session a few times together, or whatever. Mm. I remember my wife now, my girlfriend at the time, I was like, oh, this guy, pay attention to this guy, he's going to do big things. And you were right. And I was <laughs> yeah. right. And he has, and he continues <laughs> to get, it's, yeah. <laughs> That's cool. So how long was it until you, so you were playing with him pretty quickly at, soon after or no or but we, yeah we started yeah. to play yeah. together right away uh you know we met him he was together with this woman sarah smith mm -hmm. trombone player mm -hmm. who was really great who was an isotope at the beginning mm -hmm. uh and she also worked at tower 
I met them. Yeah. And then they came over to my parents' house, and me and Chad Taylor, Chad and I went to high school together. Oh, you did? Okay. Yeah. I used to wait on him at bite when I worked at bite. <laughs> he just... would leave his wallet there all the time. <laughs> uh, so me and Chad and Jeff and Sarah started playing a little bit. Mm. Um, and then we wound up, Jeff and I were in some kind of semi-awful bands together yeah. for a while. <laughs> Why were they all, were they, were they? We were just like, I don't even know, we were just, you know, <laughs> kind of trying to figure things out, young people, you know, so like, just be like, sure, we'll play in this band at the Gallery Cabaret on Thursdays, or whatever, you know what I mean, and just... Yeah. That's a specific and ramshackle spot, yeah. the gallery cabaret. So wild. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you need. I mean, especially like if you're a young person, you need places like that. That's yeah. where you. That's where you figure make all your stupid mistakes. Is places like that. You need those. <laughs> so you're yeah. You, so you're in bands with a lot of bands with him, huh? Or with well, Jeff or. I mean, Several. we, yeah, we were in Marvin's band together. We were oh, okay. in this band, this guy Wes's band. Maybe other th I'm not even sure. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah, and Isotope was, but Isotope was a little later than, than this. this. Yeah, this yeah. is like, whatever, 92, 3, okay. 4, something like that. And where were you living then? Were I was still at home. You were still at home? Mom. Yeah. Up in Edgewater or in... in well, yeah. uptown, uptown, whatever. Now, by that time, where I lived, they had changed it to uh, Graceland or something. I don't know what the fuck they It's whatever a realtor now. decided like, yeah. was selling that. Yeah. Uptown probably had a bad, bad connotation. So For sure. Yeah. So this was... I My house was like... Between Irving and Montrose, oh, okay. just off Clark. All right. So when I was young, people called that Uptown, but by mm. then it was starting to not be Uptown. Yeah. Um, yeah. Something so, nice like Ravenswood. Something like <laughs> that. I lived, so I stayed with my mom still, and Parker, Sarah, Ted Sirota, and Chris Lopes lived right behind the restaurant that my mother was a bartender at. Mm. They lived in the building that the guy owned who owned the restaurant. What restaurant was it? Biasetti's. Biasetti's. Where was that? I know that name. It was on Irving, just west of Ashland. Okay, bit. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it was like we were all in the neighborhood. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. You were in Chicago at that time, right? I was in, yeah, I went... Early 90s? I came, I came in at the beginning of 90. I transferred from Parsons to the Art Institute in the middle of freshman year of art school and stayed there until the spring of 93. And so my first apartment was in, yeah, Foster and Sheridan. I was in like nine, later 90, 90 into 91. Then I moved to Logan Square for 
a couple of years, but I had classmates that lived on like like Sunnyside and and uh, Clark basically, okay. like, like right right where you were basically yeah. almost. But yeah, I I don't know. I mean, I was basically married in art school. I had such a strange like I didn't do any of that art school shit. Like the shit that Azita did. Azita and I were in school at the exact same time. Okay. Didn't know each other. Because she was in this like out there perform you know, she was in yeah. doing scissor girls and she was doing perform like shit like like she would be in the cases of the Rainbow Club, like li- <laughs> living for a week in the fucking cases. I wasn't doing any of that. I was I was going like to movies and having dinner with my girlfriend. I was married. Yeah. Didn't go to any artists to parties. Didn't go to bars. I, I was really into movies. I'd see bands, but not not for drinking. I wasn't against drinking. It's just like I didn't go to bars. Right. That wasn't well, part of you, my reality. You were probably actually working on painting too. Yeah. Well, I would. I'd be painting. I mean, it was real. Like you know, art school for me it was a big compromise with my parents. I didn't want to go to college. I wasn't going to go to college. But like they were, you know. We're immigrant Jews from the fucking intelligentsia. Like, right. you had to go to college. So, art school was the compromise. So, I was going to do that. <laughs> so, I was, would get done, you know, painting for whatever, eight hours in, in the class and then go home and work on something else, you know? Right. I had, yeah, classmates come over and, uh, paint and like on the back porch we had this gigantic apartment in logan square right on the boulevard i mean i i have no idea how much that fucking apartment would be worth now but we were paying some absurdly low sum it was four bedrooms two bathrooms you know like a porch and a and a balcony you know some corner of corner of uh logan boulevard in albany just off just off the square you know (laughs) That was, a, that was a little, uh, little shady back then. Still, uh, you know, it. Well, like I, the one thing I do, it was real quiet. <laughs> yeah. But I, I didn't want to live in Wicker Park because that's where all the art kids lived. Right. They, they all lived in Wicker Park, and I didn't want to be around them. I didn't like them. You know, like even back then, you know, like I didn't want a, an art community. I just, I wanted to be left alone to do my fucking paintings. <laughs> Some things never change. I know. I've I've come so far. (laughs) Uh, But I remember, you know, the Logan Theater was a second-run theater. You know, tickets were like $2.250. But you couldn't wear, like, a baseball cap because that was gang colors. You know, it was colors. Yeah. Uh, Shit like that. And all you could get to eat was either, either like, tacos or Polish buffet. There's like ten Polish buffet places you could go to. I love Polish buffets, man. I, I go like I go to the Red Apple and eat like seven plates of that food, and that was all day. <laughs> yeah, but I could do that. I had the metabolism to do that, you know. You, hey, you, you want was back? Yeah, I'll, I'll have some, some more some water. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> just can you just buy it? I don't know. I mean, it didn't feel dangerous. I guess if I paid attention more like it maybe was didn't feel like it uh but yeah i lived there with my girlfriend and another couple at first and that was a disaster having two couples in one apartment two couples in one place is a bad you can only have one couple and then 
they moved out uh, and my girlfriend's older brother was also living with us. He was older than her, but basically he was, he was her younger brother because he was a little lost and she kind of took care of him, you know? Right. He was only like a year or two older, but yeah, in, in this huge apartment in Lo right in Logan Square. It was kind of, yeah, it was all right. I mean, yeah, but that being in that relationship saved me. Like, I, I probably would have dropped out of art school otherwise. I didn't really like the social scene or like the kind of painting I was doing was not really appreciated. Right. You know, I was I was doing figure painting. It was very square. Like yeah. it was for squares. It's out of fashion then and now. It, yeah. Maybe it it comes year. back in and out, but like yeah, it. I kept I just kept taking figure painting, like because I was in school, so I was going to try to learn something. Right. I figured, and I think this. I was right about it was like I have the, the rest of my life to do whatever out there shit like I thought but you can't really judge you know artwork artwork like a teacher can't you know they, right. but if you have a you know a set problem to solve like like a, a naked person then you have to put it on a, a canvas there's there's criteria that you can judge that on you know <laughs> even just for the fact of rejecting what the teacher says, there's value in that, you know? You're right. But you can't do that if you're like a, you know, a very, very poor man's like Willem de Kooning or Jackson Pollock, <laughs> and you're starting with abstraction, which none of those people did. You can't do that. You can't start with abstraction. You abstract from something, you know, and none of those kids knew that, the genius art kids. Yeah. And one of the dumb, dumb sort of like, assumptions at the art institute was that like all those kids were already artists but you know what they really were were customers they were paying to it you know right now it's gotten completely out of hand with the tuition there is like 70 grand or something it's just fucking it's criminal you know but even then it was considered expensive yeah it was 10 grand you know and that was wasn't cheap <laughs> yeah no <laughs> yeah i mean Having technique yeah. is is a, a desirable thing, I would think. You know what I mean? To be able to control yeah. what you do to create something. They yeah, uh, the, in that the early '90s and even before then it was a very strange time for art instruction because. The teachers there had come up in a time when, like, all technique and, like, any kind of tradition was rejected already. Right. Uh, so they weren't trained to teach, like, perceptual, like, painting or drawing. They didn't know how to do it. So they didn't know how to teach it. And and so it was just kind of like a lost in the wilderness kind of time. And <laughs> so what was really appreciated there was, like, you know, outsider art. But you can't teach outsider art. Right. You have to live in a fucking shed and be a crazy person, or uh, you know, or retire and have a lot of time on your hands, like oh, it's like weirdos in Wisconsin in their art environments. Yeah. You know, you, you need to have worked in a factory for forty years and then you're retired and you start pouring concrete like figurines from the Wizard of Oz or whatever. <laughs> you can't fucking teach that, like you know what I mean? But they they kept trying to, like all those. And the teachers were the, you know, like the 
the, the star teachers were either conceptualists or they were the Chicago imagists who were that whole art movement was completely in love with like self-taught art and like right. art of the insane and children's art all the stuff that's the opposite of any kind of training but it's this like built-in paradox you can't you're in a fucking art school you're not you're not a naive artist you can't be right so that was the problem there yeah, that's <laughs> so a, if i didn't have a living girlfriend like <laughs> that would have become untenable <laughs> and yeah i still i i don't know that like an art school like organized the way that place is i don't know that that's a thing that should be aside from like a ponzi scheme to get kids and their parents into debt you know it's really good at that yeah <laughs> as a lot of higher education is i mean that's that's so you you ended up you didn't go to juilliard those other places so you just didn't go to you didn't go to school you just went and got a job and started well, I didn't even, I didn't have a job for years. I just played. Yeah. Well, I, I guess I was thinking of Tower. Yeah. yeah. Oh, well, I, <laughs> the, the, the Tower. I got, I got fired from Tower really fast. Oh, you did? Uh, <laughs> How could, what'd you do? After it was open for like three days. Wow. I think I, because I were, I got it ready to open. I worked there for oh. maybe three months. But then the store finally opened. And Jeff was there with you already? Yeah. Okay. And I I pulled some scam. I, like, sold a bunch of expensive shit for not enough money, but they caught me right away. Like, my first scam. Mm. They caught me and fired me. Oh, bummer. That's too bad. Oh, that was yeah. good. I shouldn't yeah. be. I didn't have any business working. <laughs> So that that was it for jobs. <laughs> for a well, while. no, I had. Well, no. <laughs> what happened? Yeah, where'd you go? I did that. <laughs> I needed to work a little bit, so I was working at Leona's. Oh. Because yeah. my brother had yeah. worked there for. Leona's was a big deal for a while. Yeah. Oh, like off Belmont there or no? Yeah. yeah. Um, I worked there a little. My brother, I said, "Give me a job," and he said, mm. "All right." So I worked in there a little bit, but I didn't like that. And then I thought I should do something. Mm -hmm. I took the civil <laughs> service exam. Ooh. And I started working uh, for the government. I started working for the United States Railroad Retirement Board. Which is exactly <laughs> like Social Security, but exists only for railroad workers. Ooh. And it was established before Social Security. Oh, wow. So I got this job downtown. It was on uh, Russian Pearson. Mm -hmm. And I was going down. I was making really good money. Right by the me. water tower. Yeah. Like right around the corner from water tower. Yeah. And the people, like the high ups there, loved me. They were super into yeah. me. And they were yeah. like, they had my whole career planned out. Mm -hmm. They were ready for me. Yeah. And, uh, it's just, it's a funny story to me because then Ted Sirota got me on a tour mm -hmm. with this old blues man, Eddie Kirkland. Mm. And I said, all right, well, I got it. I'm going to do this tour. Mm -hmm. And my boss was like, whatever you do, don't quit. Because the government was under a policy of attrition at the time. They're mm. like, we can't replace you. 
Yeah. They're like, we don't give a shit what you do. Hmm. You be gone as long as you want. Do whatever. Wow. Just come back. And I was like, okay, I guess I'll come back. I didn't want to because I was like, well, now I'm going to be a real musician. I'm going to go on a tour. Yeah. You know. Um, Where'd you go? Where was the tour? It was just the Midwest? southern United States. Oh, so- um, it was a good time. Yeah. But I was going to go back, but this thing happened, which is just funny to me. <laughs> I walked <laughs> I walked in this guy's office. I was bringing uh-huh. him a folder. Yeah. And I, I walked in the door of his office, and he's sitting at his desk. Yeah. And this woman is standing next to him, yeah. and they're looking at something. Yeah. And so I'm bringing this folder into him. Yeah. And he's like, man, take a look at this. And he turns it around, and it's a picture of him sitting at his desk and that woman standing next to him. But it's from the 70s, clearly, like, from the fashion. And he showed me the picture, and it's the same fucking desk, and it's the same thing. And I turned around, and I went to my boss. I said, I'm gone. I said, I'm not coming I said because that was a light bulb. Mo- you saw that that, w- yeah. that would be like you, you would be in twenty years. You'd have a picture like that. Yes. <laughs> now, ironically, sometimes I I regret doing that because I could be retired already. Well, sure, yeah. But uh, it totally freaked me out, and I like I walked out. I never went back after that. And then I did. It, have it's a funny, job yeah, years. yeah. You're not the first like music I, I i did one of these with uh, Rick Rizzo from 11th Dream Day and he had a similar situation he had this whole career working for AC Nielsen you know yeah. the TV ratings yeah. people and he was about to like they wanted him to like move somewhere and like to be like higher up like he was the only one in the band with a job <laughs> and he realized that he couldn't fucking like if he wanted to play music he couldn't he just left like he walked away from a whole fucking career but yeah Otherwise, that band wouldn't have ever really actually existed. You know, like if he had stayed with the secure that path. So it's, that's great, though. That's like a what you're describing as it's like a like a Magritte painting. You know, like like <laughs> like, 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 like that's like, how it was <laughs> like that, man. Or like you know, like when the guy's painting the the portrait of himself, but it's his back. Yeah. You know, like <laughs> instead of his face. <laughs> that well. So they did you a big favor. They like give you a crystal ball like into the future. Yeah. Like here. This is your life. <laughs> Matt was... Matthew Lux, this is your life. <laughs> Scared the shit out of me, man. Yeah. I was like, no and way. You, and you ran off onto the tour bus yeah. and never came back. Oh, the, the <laughs> or, van. Or the van. What kind of venues was Eddie Kirkland? Yeah, was how big was I know that name, but he, like, wasn't, he, was, very, he wasn't he wasn't huge. No, like he was mainly known. He played with John Lee Hooker in the early, like if you've got really early John Lee Hooker records. Hmm. He didn't like to come to Chicago. Chicago was a bad luck place for him, uh, so he didn't play in Chicago. So Chicagoans didn't know him very much. Huh. But he was on constant tour from. The early 50s until he died. Wow. Like, he was a real journeyman. Yeah. Blues man. But, a, like, for real, outstanding yeah. blues player. And I learned later, when I was on tour with him, mm-hmm. I was like, man, he has some shit that I wonder if Hendrix was copying some of this. Mm. And then I found out, 
many years later mm -hmm. making a record with this guy Billy Davis mm -hmm. that I, I got hired to make this record with this guy mm -hmm. Billy Davis and we were talking whatever in the studio mm -hmm. and I said well I said I used to, I said I toured with this guy Eddie Kirkland he's like Eddie Kirkland was my favorite that's where I got my shit from uh -huh. he was like Eddie was my man yeah and it turned out that Billy Davis, who right. was in Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, okay. was the first person to give Hendrix a guitar and give him some lessons. Ah, okay. So it was, turned out to be a direct line. Cool. Which <laughs> was interesting to me. Yeah. So, so, uh, so what, what happened after you came back from that tour? Were you like in the blues circuit? No, I no. I did a few blues things, but I think I was in that band with Jeff. We played every week. Uh, what one of the dumb bands or like yeah, or whatever one of the dumb bands? <laughs> um, did they have names or like these bands? Did they have names that you can recall? <laughs> the the one band I was in with Parker was called Can of Worms. <laughs> Which so there I mean that says it all, doesn't it? Um I mean it's no limestone so slurry, but I guess it, it'll do Isn't it though? Yeah, it, it kinda it's, is. It's yeah. kind of there. Yeah. Um <laughs> What did I do? I when Chad was in town we would play some things. Uh Maybe I still had, I had, at the tail end of high school, I did this, I played in this funk band, that band broke up, and then me and the drummer of that band started a funk band that worked in bars. It was a nine-piece band, mm. it worked a lot, and it was all... It was all grown-ups, mm. and just me was yeah. the kid. Um, that band might have still been around 93 or something oh, okay. like that. I'm not sure. But I just played. I, I would do a lot of sessions for house music. Oh, yeah. Oh, okay. Um, but whatever. I lived at home. So yeah, I, I mean, just that, at that point, like, house music was still happening. Huh? Yeah. Like, it was still going, like, like real house music. Yeah. yeah, and I had totally when I was in high school that was like my thing. Like I went the to house, yeah. house clubs and that's cool. That was my my sort of social thing. Yeah, I I I just got into that music like in the last five years. House music, like I never would have listened to anything like that before, but for some reason it finally connected. <laughs> like, oh, especially like the really minimal, like the more minimal, the better, you know, yeah. kind of. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. But yeah, I would have sneered at that earlier. <laughs> like, yeah, it was some kind of prejudice against like, you know, not like quote, quote unquote real instruments, you know, all that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, I, I grew up, my best friend, like, like he was really, really into rap, you know, be, before it became hip hop when it was rap still. Right. You know, he'd be walking down the street. He knew all the all the words to whatever, like white lines or like you know, like whatever, whatever Grandmaster Flash, the message, you know, right. like that. And it annoyed the shit out of me. <laughs> like I dislike 
rap hip hop like my whole life basically but it was I think part of it was just because of how busy it was and kind of like I don't know um, like it's a, it's a lot it's it tends to be maximalist yeah but yeah for what yeah for whatever reason it took a very long time but the, like that house music is I I can I can listen to that now for hours you know I can just have it on you know well um, the funny thing when I started going I was a freshman in high school <laughs> and I met some guys and they were like oh we're going to we're going to go to the club Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, we're like 13 fucking years old. We get to mm-hmm. go to a club. Yeah. I was like, yeah, we're going to go. There's a party. Nora. Hello. That's my daughter. Hello. Nora, it's Dimitri. Dimitri, Nora. Nice to meet you. <laughs> Let me see him. They're oh. literally purple eyes on that. They I match the dress. No, they don't. In the sun, they're literally purple. And I'm so mad. I'm like colorblind. Oh no. Looks like they match the dress we need. <sighs> Anyways. <laughs> um, so I went. They used to have parties at the Bismarck Hotel. Mm. The auditorium of the Bismarck Hotel. Or the ballroom. Yeah. And it was like. Little Lewis was the first DJ. Yeah. I heard. Um, but it was like. House music. There weren't enough records to be a genre of yeah. house music. Yeah. House music was more this cultural scene. Yeah. And most of the records were disco records yeah. with live instruments. Yeah. And then there were, you know, these weird acid electro records yeah. and this and that. But it was definitely like, when I think of that music, most of the time I'm thinking of like Philly International records mm. with drummers and bass players. Yeah. Um, and then a little bit of the electro thrown in. Oh, now, now he's friendly. Yeah, yeah, what happened? Something changed. <laughs> yeah, I think knows? it's because your daughter came in. Now, now there's like, there's, the a, lady, there's a lady balanced. here. It's all, yeah, the <laughs> pH balance is more correct, yeah. <laughs> yeah, now he's going to bug you. Yeah, now, now you can be friendly. Well, it's all right. You're going to be on the show now, pal. <laughs> yeah, it, it's interesting. Yeah, you can... There was somebody put together some kind of it was like history of Chicago music, the, like playlists or whatever. But decade by decade, it's really cool to watch it evolve. You know, yeah. But it's basically it's it's disco music, but like sparts are more repetitive. You know, it's like they took a lot of stuff out. You know, yeah. and then that that's what was house music. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I like yeah. So. So you you would play at those places or or no 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 you would you would just, just hang out that was just, just hang going out. Yeah. to I mean there was there wasn't anything to play they weren't yeah they weren't playing like live bands right um, like that's not a live band a thing. little bit towards the end of I sort of got out of yeah when I started to get into playing like when I started in can of worms too. Or like whatever the band well, was. Well, can of worms that era, ninety three. Ninety three, I was still hanging out house music quite a bit, yeah. but then ninety four is when I met like the Tortoise guys mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Is that when Tortoise started around then, or no? They, I Tortoises think they were, were later. Like ninety one. No, they oh, were. Oh, they they were already going. Okay. The yeah. first album when I met those guys. Yeah. 
the first they were working on that first record. Oh, okay. Um, but so I started to hang out with them, and then I just sort of transferred over. I stopped going to the clubs, but it was also because the rave thing had blown it up yeah in this weird way and it was a different thing that i wasn't into so much but the tail end of that they used to have there was this bass player charles i i don't know his last name but he passed away uh charles and then what's the drummer dude man it's gonna bug me that i don't remember his name but he's still around they would like play with the DJs sometimes in the in the in the clubs in these yeah, clubs. Or yeah, like there were a lot of places in that era, the early nineties. Yeah. On Milwaukee Avenue, there were like all these lofts where people would yeah. have parties, and they would like play. That I always thought that would be cool because I was I knew all the the DJ yeah. people were people who I knew mostly. Yeah. So, but I didn't. By the time that was a thing, I was already starting to drift over into the whatever that scene was. Yeah, what is that scene? It was like weirdo. Yeah, post something like like it wasn't like sort of it was like people people that used to play rock music that were trying to do some some other thing. Yeah, I mean they were all punk yeah. rockers, and I yeah. I didn't care for punk rock really. Yeah, that wasn't really your scene. Not at all. Yeah. But, so whatever, I met them. Like, I I distinctly remember meeting Johnny and Dan uh-huh. because it was a rehearsal uh-huh. for this thing. Remember Leroy Bach had that band Uptidy? I know the name. I, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I ever saw that. It was like a... Yeah. It was very popular. They used yeah. to sell out the Metro. Oh, really? And it was a big funk band. The funk band that I had was not big and famous mm-hmm. but we were a really good band mm-hmm. um he had his band had a new year's eve gig mm-hmm. new year's eve going from 93 to 94 but a bunch of the people in his band were gone for some reason mm-hmm. and somehow it wound up where they reached out to my band mm-hmm. and were like we need bass player, guitar player, some singers. And so we wound up being this weird confabulation group. And I, that's when I met all those. I met Johnny and Dan. Yeah. And I was like, they played in the rehearsal, and I was like, mm-hmm. these, these fuckers are funky. Yeah. And then I started to hang out with them, and I was like, you guys are punk rock. You don't sound yeah. like punk rock to me. Yeah. And they all... You know, they knew hip records, they knew jazz records and funk records and all that shit. They were very wide-ranging dudes. Mm -hmm. I didn't hold punk rock against them, but they were certainly (laughs) more broad than that. And I think at that exact moment, they were kind of distancing themselves from punk rock. So it worked out. I fit right into the program because I was the opposite of that. Yeah. Huh. So how long? So was, so did Isotope come out of that, or or was there other? Well, what was before Isotope? I don't remember how Parker met them. He might have known them already. 
But then around 94, after I had met them, he moved in that loft with them. Oh, okay. So he was living there, and then me and Chrissy would go hang, Chris Lopes, we would go hang out all the time. Mm -hmm. And I got to know Doug and all of them. McIntyre, not as much, but he was there. Uh, Bundy was there. They were living in that loft. We were hanging out. And then... But there was this band that came from Boston, mm-hmm. Last Quartet, which was Jeff, Sarah, Ted, and Chris. Oh, okay. Which was super influential band on everybody I know. Huh. They were a really great yeah. band. But they broke up yeah. in 94. Oh, okay. And so then they started to do a thing. Parker started to do a thing with Sarah, Chris, and him. Mm-hmm. Johnny, Dan, mm-hmm. sometimes the other Dan, uh, Dan Flegel, who was the drummer in... Uh, he was in Uptidy. He was in this band, Wiseacre, really mm-hmm. fine musician. He was in Can of Worms with us. Oh, okay. They started to do that was Jeff Parker and Friends. Mm-hmm. That would play sometimes. There was yeah. sort of like this intermediate era. Then I moved. I moved in '95. I moved to France for like a year. Oh, what was that about? Nothing. I didn't feel like anything was really going on. I didn't. I wasn't happy with what I was doing in Chicago. And I was just so like, you were like, I'm gonna do pull like a Lester Young and or like or whatever, like you're like one of these. Well, like. I I joined a blues band. Oh, and I went to France to play the blues. Oh, and me, this is how dumb I was. Mm-hmm. I was like, well, I'm gonna be in a band in France. I'm sure it's probably it's gonna be in Paris, of course, right? Because where, <laughs> where else would you be? No, it was in the south. Uh huh. We were in a tiny little town called Villeneuve-sur-Lot. Uh-huh. And the band was terrible except for the drummer. Um, and I could only stand it about six months. Then I broke up the band. I like, <laughs> I totally ruined their whole lives. We all lived together in a house. Oh, wow. And I couldn't stand it. Yeah. And so I blew it up. <laughs> and then... I, I moved in with a girl and Ajan, and then I left her, and I moved to Toulouse with a bunch of musicians, and I was like hanging out with this guy. You know what Earcam is? No, what's that? Earcam's like the fanciest French avant-garde music school, Pierre Boulez kind oh. of thing. Him, I've heard of. Yeah. So Earcam's like the fanciest, like futuristic music school and there was this dude Matthew Sadowski who's a composer from Earcam mm. and I was working with him in his studio and then I was sitting in his studio one day and the mail showed up mm-hmm. and it was Wire magazine and Tortoise was on the cover oh wow and I said shit I said maybe shit is happening in Chicago <laughs> maybe something's going on and plus I was uh I had broken up with my girlfriend when I moved there, uh-huh. but then I was pining for her, and we decided to get back together. So I moved back 
after only like a year. And Parker was doing his thing, mm-hmm. the Jeff Parker and Friends. Yeah. But then Chris, who was playing bass, uh-huh. left. He decided to go back to Massachusetts. Mm-hmm. And then I replaced him. And then Sarah went to Los Angeles to do something. Mm-hmm. And we had a gig. We had already taken the gig at the Rainbow. We were playing Monday nights at mm-hmm. the Rainbow. But Sarah had to go, and for two weeks she was going to be gone, but we needed a horn. So he asked, Jeff asked Mazurk to do it. Mm. And Mazurk and I had known each other for a long time, but we didn't get along at all. (laughs) Um, But he showed up, and it sounded wonderful. Yeah. And then when we asked him to join, then it sort of firmed up into a thing, and we we named it Isotope. Yeah. And then, yeah, went from there. It stopped being Jeff Parker's band, and then it was sort of a democracy band. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I remember hearing that stuff. So I was working at this place called Tyler Lagoon. Oh, of course. 97 to 2000, and, like, like those guy Adam, who's one yeah. of the owners, just loved, loved all that music. So I, I, and all those people came into that place, like, you know, I'd see... Maripa too, right? Yeah. 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 Well, there were a couple, yeah. and then then they opened Rodan later, which I remember they say, "Well, yeah, we want to open a bar that you'd go to," and I never went. To, I hated that place. <laughs> well, I thought that that place was ridiculous, but <laughs> it was not. <laughs> the crazy thing about that bar to me was that on the nights when we were playing there. Mm-hmm. It was a wonderful place. Yeah. But then any other night, it was the worst place. Yeah. They were a really weird couple, and they had a lot of... Yeah, there was a lot of the tensions to their relationships. Ship would play out, you know, in yeah. in their restaurant. Or, you know. <laughs> but yeah, I was there, you know, I was there for three years. I was primarily a delivery driver, but I was basically like a, a system manager. Like, if they had to go do something at shop and stuff, I'd kind of ran it for a bit you know they so have to had, go argue or something yeah <laughs> uh, it was but yeah all those people like yeah herndon would go that would go there all the time and like damon locks like yeah. those kinds of people would go there all the time and for a while it was like the only place that would deliver to like humble like i would deliver to humble park when like nobody was right. doing that so i was yeah, when I was, but that music was was always all that music was around. He was like really into tortoise and really into all that all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and he was you know he's a little bit older, but he was always he's one of these, you know, these people that are like trying to hang on to some kind of youth or whatever. Yeah, like trying really really hard. <laughs> he was wound very very tight. You know, <laughs> that guy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I only ever saw him in the yeah in the bar sort of thing yeah i don't know what happened i i I mean they finally split up which was for the best and i think he ended up having a kid or something like he had got married i think i don't know i don't know what he's up to or if he's around but i think i'm i'm friends with him on social media oh yeah maripa too yeah but yeah yeah that was a very acrimonious like it, it, it was messy at the end yeah 
uh, well, for me, you know, like, I gave him, like, this long lead of, like, notice, and then, like, she, like, said, like, I had to stay there, like, luck out my last day, and it was, like, end up, like, yelling, like, fuck you across the restaurant at her, like, basically telling her, like, <laughs> like, yeah, fire me, you know, basically, yeah. like, I gave you, like, you know, three months or something, <laughs> like, notice, so, like, you know, screw you. Uh, yeah, they they had very different styles, but both were kind of aggressive and weird. Bad. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but, you know, it's all these service industry jobs, sooner or later, there's some drama bullshit going, you know, that ruins it. I mean, it's what got, it's the reason I drove a cab for 12 years of my fucking adult life is that the problems with authority and yeah. co workers, you know, like, it's better not to have them if you can avoid it. <laughs> For if you have a certain type of temperament, you know? yeah, yeah, it's like you just leave me the fuck alone. I'll do the job. I'll do a pretty good job. But like, yeah, you mess with me or it doesn't work out. I miss cabs. <laughs> yeah, that's that. That world is dead. Well, we have cabs. They're called Uber, but you know, that's that's that, the that, cab. That ain't a cab. Well, that's all there is. <laughs> yeah. That's sad. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, uh, they they killed themselves. They did that to themselves, those companies. They fucked up. Yeah. They didn't change with the times. They had it their own way. Yeah, all they had to do was build a fucking app, you know, and they would have cut off Uber at the ankles, but they didn't. They had a monopoly, you know, and then they died. You know, they killed themselves, so... They treated drivers very badly. Yeah. At least as badly as Uber does, you know. <laughs> but Uber, they, all these companies, they're doing all the cab shit. They're, like, leasing cars right. at, at terrible rates to, to immigrants. You know, they're doing all the shit that yeah. the cab companies did. Like, by the time I got into the cab world, which was 93 in Boston, uh, I already couldn't work for the company. They had already figured out that, it was more profitable just to lease the cars. And then they didn't care if you made any money. Right. They were rent-a-car companies, you know? <laughs> like, there were some old-timers that were still working. It was called commission, you know? So you really? Split, it's a, you split the meter. So, like, you know, if you have a bad night, then the company has a bad night, and you're an employee of the cab company. That's the traditional old way. Oh, I had never even... That's what it was forever. Like, like you know, like on that show Taxi... Like, all those people worked for that company. So, like, if they had a bad a bad night, the company had a bad night. And, you know, they had work, they had benefits, they had some sort of union thing, you know. It was, oh. it was like a job for a company, but I, had, I didn't have that option. No, I mean... I've, I had to pay, I had to pay either nightly or weekly. Right. And they didn't give a shit if I made a dime, you know. The couple, yeah. I had a couple of friends who... Who drove taxi. Yeah, so either own or, or you lease. They yeah. leased. Yeah. And I yeah. I always thought that was just how it worked. No, so that you was... had a medallion and you leased it and that was Yeah, a... but that was really, uh, in retrospect, that was... They were like sowing the seeds of their ruin, changing it to that, you know? Changing it to like not caring about who was... You know, just renting it to whoever and, you know... Right. It's just a shit, it's not sustainable, and it lasted, you know, it lasted like 20 years or something that way, at 20, 25, 30 years, but that's it. And then you get all these fucking crooks, like, and these people like Trump and his cronies are inv invested in 
the New York ones in the New York cab companies where you see, you know, immigrant families lost millions when, yeah. when the cab industry collapsed and you have all these rash of suicides and all that. And these fucking crooks are up and down involved in it, you know, because it's a good place to launder money. Didn't they do something to like... Yeah, they yeah they have these programs, you know, they whatever, it's a soft landing, but it's, like, there's no going back. It's not coming back. Right, you know, yeah, like, no, it's cool. Yeah. I mean, there, I guess there's still some, like, yellow caps, but it's, it's not what it was. Yeah, it's, it's all switched. I mean, the great scam of, you know, rideshare is, like, well, you, you provide the car, too. Like, yeah. we don't even provide the fucking car. <laughs> like, we're a rent-a-car company, but we don't even give you a car. Yeah. Like... We just collect money. You know? We yeah. do nothing. Yeah, we do nothing. So yeah, we made an app. You know, like yeah. If, if I could, you know, if I, I was, I was pretty burnt out by the time I quit. It's, it's actually, yeah. Next month will be the ten year anniversary of my quitting, and it was the year that Uber came into Chicago. Like one of the few times I, I saw the writing on the wall. Like you had that, the picture of like the your coworkers from the seventies. <laughs> I had, you know, Uber recruited me. I drove for Uber. They really? they were using just limo drivers and cab drivers at first. That was their strategy right. when they came to a new town. And they gave me an iPhone with the app on it, and there was almost no business. But it was like looking at it was a crystal ball. Like this is this is what it's all going to be, you know. Yeah. And luckily, you know, I got out like a few months later. And yeah, they recruited me because I had a book out already. I was like, oh, right. famous cab driver, yeah, famous so, cab celebrity driver. cab driver. Like, <laughs> so, I, I'm no longer friends with, was fond of saying, it's like winning the tallest midget contest, you know, the, the very non-PC yeah. expression, but yeah, it can be. You better it, cut that out. Well, yeah. <laughs> As I told Emmett, Emmett got worried after we recorded a two-hour conversation with Emmett. He's like, oh, like, but you know. Whatever he said, it was uh, he was worried about some things he said. I guess and he didn't even remember what. But it's like I wasn't offended by anything. And then like you can't be canceled if nobody's subscribing. Yeah, you know what I mean. <laughs> that's I saw, that, that's my that's my strategy. <laughs> it's like there was a <laughs> a video of Emmett doing this thing they call a a rig rundown, which is like a thing on the internet. Where somebody goes and interviews you about your oh, equipment, your, you know? Your toys. Yeah. <laughs> and it's just wild because that's so not an Emmett thing yeah. to do. But he did it. But you could tell that he was unhappy about doing it. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was very enjoyable to watch. I bet. Yeah, one of the highlights for me of that talk was like when he told me he didn't even like guitar playing guitar. <laughs> like, I, like I'm not even into guitar. <laughs> like, well, you you you've uh, fooled all of us for all these all these years really convincingly, Emmett. <laughs> when Lee told me he was doing this tour, uh-huh. I was like, oh, I'm like Emmett solo. I'm like, I heard Emmett's just like doing a. Uh, like modular synths now or something yeah and Leroy was like I don't know I think he said he was gonna just play guitar and yeah to hear what it is I was like oh man 
That would be cool. Yeah, that would be cool to hear. Maybe you'll bring it through Chicago, but that would be nice. Yeah, I would, yeah, I was like that guy. He he turned up. Yeah, he turned up to play. Uh, I think. Oh, I think he told me. He, he, did he play with you in, in the Azita band or no? He or he or no. he was like. Oh, initially. Yeah. Yeah, that's how I met him. Yeah. Because he was not on the record, but he played in the... I think he played on the tour, he said. Right. Yeah. That's And that's that's when I met him, I think. Yeah. When he showed up in Chicago. His first run with her, I wasn't there. Okay. But then we did... We did some... I remember doing some run with him. Me, Ryan Rapsis, yeah. him, and Azita. Yeah, I remember Ryan Rapsis. He would hang out yeah, at that coffee shop at Jinx in Wicker Park. He was part of that whole kind of scene. And then he ended up at, he was at Rainbow, and he was, yeah. <laughs> Lived in D's building. Yeah. Do you live in there? Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Well, then, yeah, they had the that recording studio. Was that, was that McIntyre's? So, or, yeah, yeah, on the first on the, floor. On the corner, yeah. I remember before that it was it was a currency exchange. Do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah, I'd, I'd moved back, so I left, uh, graduated from the Art Institute in '93, moved away, and then came back in '97 for good, and I lived at Western and Division, and just watching, like, from '97 into the, the couple of years after that, how that neighborhood like it was quick. It was very quick. Well, I, I would walk, you know, from my house to to go to Leo's lunchroom, and there was nothing in right. between my house and and then a fucking sushi place showed up. It was like that's the canary in the cold mine, <laughs> the harbinger of doom. Yeah. Just just like the Uber app on the iPhone. It was like, oh, I know what's gonna happen now. I've I've lived in neighborhoods like that. I know what happens next. Yeah. And there's that bakery across from Rainbow that like. Oh, the Cuban place, yeah, Puerto Rican place. Yeah, yeah. that that dis- like when they that knocked that it down, that I disappeared, that. and then there was all these like succession of weird like wannabe startup like proto foodie restaurants that were around there like Twilight and like <laughs> all these places that were trying to be what like the these hip food culture became, you know, but they were kind of attempt early attempts. Yeah. They they missed the boat on the front end. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. They were the they they were ahead of their time. Yeah, I don't. I, I'm sure some of those people that were involved in that stuck it out and like or showed up somewhere else where when it really hit. Those but, yeah. places weren't good though either. Some of them were all right. And like, but yeah, they were very scattershot. You know. I remember I would try most of them because it was always down that way. But I was never. There was an insane. The place, you know, where Handlebar is, kind of across from uh, Ty Lagoon on North Avenue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, the vegetarian restaurant. Uh, there was a pl- Colum- Colombian place in that space before, run by an insane, insane guy named William. You would go in there and you would literally, there would be like maybe three three customers or something three tables occupied and your food would take two hours and it was never what you ordered 
because he he never had the right ingredients but then he would like feel bad and he would give you all this free shit but he would run across the street to Ty Lagoon like because he like ran out of tomatoes or something he would beg get some tomatoes ouch <laughs> crazy crazy places like that run by crazy people with like dreams and yeah often like you know drug problems and <laughs> other other mental issues popular they had, in the restaurant business yeah but they have these dreams you know yeah but yeah there wasn't like the you know the pile of money that you need you know to sustain it until it becomes popular you know <laughs> And there wasn't, you know, things like the internet, so there wasn't, like, the food network or... Right. Well, this whole explosion of, like, people, like, making shit, yeah. There's no Anthony Bourdain being popular yet, you know, like, or yeah. whatever. Well, chefs weren't... Yeah. They weren't rock stars yet. Chefs were the thing, yeah. right. Yeah, it was people like Bourdain that made them into rock stars, yeah. Yeah, there wasn't that then. I don't know. I don't really have nostalgia for that. It's just different. That's all it is, you know. I miss Leo's lunchroom. That was a good spot. Yeah. Well, it more uh, you know the the kitchen at Skylark is like the remnant of Leo's room because one of the owners is Sheila is one of the people that started Leo's is there is at Skylark. But yeah, I mean Leo's was like a founding, you know. It's kind of like started that neighborhood in a way, you know, because Absolutely. that that begat Bite Cafe, which begat <laughs> which begat Flying Saucer and and begat uh, Feed on Chicago. All right. this place, it's all like you know <laughs> roots from from that from that root, the the branches. Yeah. Was well, that was the that was like the first Gen X business in that neighborhood i think could have been the way i remember it anyway i didn't start hanging out over there until i met those dudes in like 94 yeah do you ever play a czar bar across the street from him that was a crazy like i had friends and when i was in art school they would play there at czar bar yeah um, i (laughs) i almost got into a fight yeah the time i played there and Phyllis's musical in still still going still, yeah. strong. Well, because yeah, they own they own that building. That's yeah. why. That's how but that still, it, I that mean, can be. Yeah, it's shocking at this point because what you know the, the property taxes alone have to be yeah more than they earn in that bar. Yeah, they don't earn. But then I guess he it's, probably has the. It's cool, like yeah, you have stuff. these isolated, like these weird, weird relics, like bars like that, and where like the L and L Tavern yeah. somehow is still open. <laughs> I went there like a couple of weeks ago. Really? Yeah. Still so, the same. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. The, I was there with a friend. We were going to see a comedy show at the Vic, and she wanted to pay with a hundred, and he couldn't break it. I'm sorry, I don't have change for this. You know, like, you can't. No, not because they were, like, suspicious about the 100. Like, I don't think he had. At what time of, like, when were you there? Early evening, you know, like 5. Oh, it didn't, it hadn't got rolling. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if if that place ever gets rolling. I I don't know. I don't know who goes there. I guess. I I can't even think the last time I was there. Uh, But that's, like... If I'm I'm not in that neighborhood very often, but if I want to drink, that's where I would go. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> well, now in that neighborhood, first of all, 
I would probably be lost because I never... Because the Punkin' Donuts is gone, so you wouldn't be able... Like, there's a target. A it's huge a huge building. thing. Yeah. I always... Yeah. That can't orient me, man. Yeah. I'm know, like, where I am I? I know. For sure. There's so much in Chicago like that. Yeah. Uh, when we were doing uh, Matt's record, we were doing it. I was telling you about that. Yeah. That it was at the studio. That was the first studio I was ever in in my life. Where was it? Where was that studio? On Clybourne by like north of Division, between Division and North Avenue. Hmm. And he wanted, at the end of the thing or the end of one of the nights, he was like, oh, he was like, he wanted to take me down to Jewel so I can get some some beer and some cigarettes. And I was mm. like, yeah. And going down Clybourne, man, I would have no clue. Yeah. But... Absolutely no remnants. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's some buildings there. Yeah. But so much had changed. And then when you hit that, when you hit Division. Yeah, yeah. What's that? Well, well, because yeah, all the Cabrini buildings are gone. Yeah. Like, and it's all like, it's all yuppie housing. It's yuppie ghetto now, yeah. like instead of ghetto ghetto. Yeah. yeah. But I know. I mean, I remember when that jewel opened. That was a big, big fucking thing. Right. That's where uh, Ticketmaster used to be in there. There was like a kiosk Ticketmaster, really? like, and me and Adam waited. Like we showed up there super early in the morning because we wanted tickets to go see Tom Waits at the Chicago Theater, <laughs> and we got them. Like, and they were gone. Like, and like when you had to wait in line, like yeah. at a place like that. <laughs> and we figured, like, that was our strategy because, like, we figured. Like, nobody in that neighborhood would go there. Right. And it worked out. We were, like, like one of the first people in line, you know? Nice move. Yeah, because, like, tickets like that would be gone in an hour, you know? Like, yeah. And they were. <laughs> it, was, it was a lot of money, I remember. Being a lot of money. I don't remember how much it was. It was a lot, though. Well, a lot cold. then. It probably yeah. wasn't a lot no, now. No, But If you're cold, you can close that. I'm good. Okay. I like it. I like... I'd rather feel cold than no warm. Yeah, most, mostly. I mean, me yeah. too. But it's got a little bit much for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's that was that stretch used to be very, very bleak. I mean, it, it sort of still is in a way. The the Clyborne, yeah, There's no. There's, there's, not, there's nothing not really business. Yeah. On that there's all thing, these buildings. Yeah. But just these buildings. Yeah, there was a cabbie restaurant that opened over there, like near around the corner from the Jewel. There's a on the. Uh, it would be the east side of Clybourne. There's a, a couple of places that are cabbie restaurant. There's some cabbie restaurants well, the, or former cabbie restaurants. One of the cabbie restaurants yeah. is on the first floor of the building where the studio is. Oh, okay. All right. Really excellent. Yeah. Pakistani. Yeah. I used to go to all those, but... Yeah, but yeah, that's a whole... Yeah, that's a whole like culture that's like... I guess some of those restaurants would work the same for the Ubers or whatever. Like, they're just restaurants that are open at all weird hours, you know. With, uh. <laughs> so, yeah, how, let's see. Where, where, where are we at in history? I guess we're, are we up to oh. today? <laughs> we're, you know, this, this uh. is not going to be the encyclopedia of, of Matt Lux. Yeah. Or like, more or less. No, I we no, were, but like I, I was fat. I was sort of intrigued by like you know the last time we met, you were talking about how like you're, except for the Matt Schneider thing, you're just like laying low, kind of like not not 
not doing yeah, these, not like, playing, not playing, or not not playing gigs. Yeah, I play way more than ever. But and how, yeah, so like you, you find that satisfying just to play, just to play and not like apart from like an audience of any kind or. Uh, Did the audience ever like? Was that important? Or well, I mean, I, playing for audience super special and important. Mm-hmm. But I did it a lot. Um, what I had sort of, I had somehow lost the personal connection that is necessary to have in music, and so now that all the playing I'm doing is mm-hmm. expressly only for me, mm-hmm. it's been very helpful in rebuilding yeah. that relationship, just me and music. Oh, you, when you say you lost a personal connection, it was it was like, what, the, the reason for playing or like, or what? Yeah, yeah I was like just you, playing because it was like a job. Yeah. It was like punching a clock. Yeah. And that's awful. Yeah. That's awful. So I had to stop doing that. For sure, yeah. But yeah, I'm I'm convinced you'll find you'll figure out some some way to get back well, out in front of people, you know, when you when it makes sense to. And then yeah, obviously you've had this this day job forever. This uh, yeah, the the Whole Foods. Gig. I mean, it's it's. Uh... When did you start there? You're... I mean, I started there 20 years ago. Yeah. Did they give you a gold watch or like they, a... They gave me a crystal apple. Yeah. Yeah. Is it... Does it have like a like an Amazon tracker device and Or like, does does it gather... Is it listening to us now or... Oh, no. I, I, I keep it in, in my office. Uh, Behind a lead door, yeah. <laughs> so, so the signals so can't. Sure. But it's clear, so I'm pretty sure there isn't anything in there. <laughs> um, but they did manage to misspell my name. Oh, they did, which was fantastic. How did they spell it? L U X E. Oh, like, like deluxe. Yeah, like yeah. There's that place. Uh, I think on Michigan Avenue called that. It was like some kind of restaurant cafeteria. It was Lux. Grand the, Lux Cafe. Grand Lux. I think that had an E. Uh, yeah. That, that one, had one has an E. <laughs> then there's, not too far from your house, there's the Luxy Bridal Place. Oh, yeah. On Archer, just <laughs> there next to the Right. I'm, I'm not usually in the market for bridal wear, but <laughs> I know I'll know where to go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I live right, right around the corner from that... that uh, Texas ballroom place. You know that. You know that place. It's on Archer. It's like a art, like. It's a it's a venue for like, well, yeah. You don't like punk, punk bands. Well, it's a, yeah. I get confused. There's the Archer ballroom. Yeah. Is that it? I think so. It, but it's it's just a loft. It's yeah. a loft built. But there. like a big. Yeah. High loft. Yeah. Which I've still never been inside of, but I, I know where it is because it's around the corner from my house. <laughs> the one next door to the Luxie Bridal thing? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think that's what made me so think So that's of, a, yeah. that place has been, I mean... It's shit. been there like 30 years or yeah, something. Yeah, when I yeah. was in high school. Yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's always been a thing. They yeah. there. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a fantastic... Yeah. I wish I could buy that and live yeah. there. Gorgeous. Yeah, I don't know who owns that. Somebody has yeah. obviously 
kind of like been like a whatever angel investor like benevolent shadow whatever like yeah. allowing like art weirdos for generations to to work generations out generations and generations of, of art, art weirdos. weirdos to make their their weird mistake their their terrible mistakes out in public yeah. you know like <laughs> and, and, I've, and i've seen many of them yeah yeah somehow i don't know how i've never been there i've never been inside of that place now it's like a you know point of pride. Now I'll never go in there. Oh well, you're missing now, out. And I can literally, I can stumble home. I can fall flat and end up in in front of my house. <laughs> That's how close I live to the Archer Ballroom. The Sadly, that whatever uh, they had that little Mike's Hamburger Heaven there for a while, and then it burnt down, and yeah. there's nothing. It's so sad. that's that's at the end of my block. Yeah, I used to love that place when I was driving the cab. Because it was open 24 hours. I wonder if there's any... Is the original one still around? Because there was... There's one on Pershing. Pershing and Morgan or something? No, Pershing and like Wallace. Wallace? Yeah. Okay. Is that one still there? I don't remember. There was two. There was that... uh, Kevin's Hamburger Heaven and uh, the Doc's Grill. Something. There was a competing one across... Across the street, there was also one of those on Western, like near the Orange Line, like like south of Archer on Western. Uh, that was also like it was like a mini chain, sort of like or like franchise or something. I knew there was another one right by Ashland. Mm. But yeah, it was probably like one of those like franchise kind of deal, yeah. like where you buy into like. So yeah, that that one on on my corner was somehow affiliated with those, but each one had like different kinds of food. Like the food wasn't exactly the same. Oh, and they didn't have the armed guards like they did at the one on Pershing, man. Yeah. Like also, was it was just it was just uh, counter service, yeah. you know, and a weird like drive-through window that you had to like. It was very <laughs> Not, hard to get yeah. to. I don't think I ever successfully used the drive-through window. I would just go in there, but yeah, I would just go in and get a couple. That was a nice burger. Yeah, it was a nice burger. Good onion rings there. They, they make. Yeah. Yeah, and it still was boarded up. It says, closed due to fire, but do is spelled D-O. <laughs> I did a drawing of it. Like, I, I love that. <laughs> closed due to fire. Yeah. Like, so, yeah, so, somebody probably torched it. You know, like, for... I can't imagine how much they've whatever insurance they got off of it, but like it couldn't be much. But I hope something been happens. Gone for, there. Yeah, because that was uh, that was before COVID. Yeah, that happened. Uh, <laughs> it would be nice to have a little something there. They reopened the Bridgeport Bakery. That's nice. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's that's kind of like on and off. Like they have weird. Sometimes they're closed. Sometimes they're open. Mm-hmm. I got yeah. I yeah. haven't been to the yeah. new version yet. Yeah. They had wonderful bacon buns in there, man. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that place used to buy uh, Jackalope, where we go for coffee in Bridgeport. They used to always get stuff from Bridgeport Bakery. They used to have, always have the bacon buns. That's good stuff. stuff. Yeah. yeah. They do that over here, but it's not as good as the one no? there. No? Racine Bakery is right here. Yeah. You probably just rode past it. I imagine. I, I like... Of the of the diagonal streets, I, I I always enjoyed Archer. It felt like one of the ones where you're just like, you 
keep going and you just like go back decades. Yeah. You you go like a mile and you're 10 years back. <laughs> Two miles and you're like 40 years back. Yeah. It's much quicker into the past than the other diagonal streets. <laughs> I'm, I'm an Ogden man myself. Ogden's interesting, but Ogden's very, very industrial. Yeah. Like most of the way. Ogden's not fun for adventures but it's good for it's my i call it it my personal highway yeah ogden's good that it's it's good on a car it's it's scary on a bike ogden on a bike is not i wouldn't ride it which archers like there's spots that are not good but uh because there's a lot of drag racing on archer you know and stuff like that and there's not but archer feels a lot safer on a bike than ogden ogden is like fucking trucks and shit yeah it's there's very few places on ogden with where it's like a more like a business stretch for like pedestrians even right it's yeah yeah no i wouldn't ride a bike on ogden yeah i have <laughs> no yeah I'm, yeah i ride a bike everywhere now but... yeah well I, I think i think we did it cool the entire history of matt lux yeah. captured <laughs> on two modes of recording and we'll see how much of it was captured Third time's a charm, or second time's a charm. Well, it'll be. There's going to be so many people. So. There's going to be courses at the University of Chicago taught just based on this recording. Yeah, I'm convinced. sure of it. Yeah, it'll be a great archive. You're, you're the modern day Studs Turkle. And uh, you're 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 I'm not the you're, you're yeah someday. you're not the first first one that's accused me of that Studs Turkle business before it started with the with the cab. The cab stories, they they started in with the the Stez Turkle, yeah. Stez Turkle, Nelson Algren, you know all the all the Chicago mainstays that no, nobody that, that lives in Chicago even fucking knows who those people <laughs> are. But nevertheless, yeah, yeah. Well, look at that. There's there's a wave going. So sweet. All right. Cool. Off we go. Stop. And. Stop this one.